boy. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. First of all, let's thank uh, the sponsor we had for this past month and a half. Uh, I ran the pro- promo a little bit longer just because uh, I wanted to. It's my show. Um, but it did end last week. So if you guys want to check out the podcast, just go back to the last month of shows. And um, their promo will be at the very beginning. That's actually why I do not play any intro music. Just so it doesn't take anything away. Um, but I appreciate them. This is our first show back to normal. And I had no clue how to start. So... In my notes, it says, just one line, playing right from hell, dark side is back. And I don't think I've ever even talked, if we have talked about dark side of the ring, it's been very brief, right? Because you have a bunch of other podcasts that talk about it. You have uh, PW Insiders podcast, you have uh, Observer podcast, Solid Monster Sounds Off. These guys go into like hour-long in-depth reviews of these shows right so i was like i'm not really trying to do all that you know like i try to find my own thing like the, the rest of the profiles you guys really love you know I, I got great feedback from the bret hart one and this week we're doing Shawn michaels um i, I won't do them every week just so it won't get worn out but i kind of th- try to think of a theme for each of them so i watched so i had uh <laughs> I had completely forgot that Dark Side of the Ring was even coming back. I knew it was coming back. I just didn't know the date. And so, <laughs> yesterday I'm doing something, or as we're as I record this, it's actually Friday, so it's not gonna be recorded at the same time. This this episode will be like in three parts essentially, right? It'll be a longer episode. So it's Thursday. As I'm, the story I'm talking about happens on Thursday. So I look at my phone. I'm like looking through 411mania.com, just you know, goofing around. And I see that on Renee Paquette's podcast, Ric Flair is asked by her, hey, you know that Dark Side of Ring is coming back. He's like, I know. And just when things were going so good for me, I couldn't stop laughing so hard. I literally laughed my ASS off about it because I was just like, and I forgot the episode that they were doing. And they're doing some very intriguing episodes the second half of the season. The court case of Vince McMahon, which, which they got Jerry McDevitt, the lawyer, the longtime lawyer of Vince McMahon to do um, a, a season. And then at this one, I was like, I completely forgot. And they came back with a bang. Boy, oh boy. And a bang in the wrong way. Um, so I already knew about this. I mean, you've heard so many people's different, so many different people's accounts of it. Like, here's the funny thing about it. You know how you, you might hear a story from like eight different people. You hear a story from eight different people, you usually get like eight wildly, completely different stories. Right? Right. So, this one was very unique because over the years and times I've heard about the plane ride from hell, it's always been essentially the same story. These grown adults were acting like complete jerks, uh, imbeciles, and some more. And all of them have said this, right? And, like, everyone has been just, like, very open about how bad this entire thing was. No one's ever said, yeah, it wasn't too bad. You know, I sipped some some, some margarita, had caviar. No, nah, it's been, like, pretty much the same story, right? So I figure, well, the same thing about co- Collision in Korea. You heard the stories from all these people. You didn't really hear anything new. I know people came out of it hating Too Cold Scorpio because of his fight with Hawk, right? And also Hawks did, so there's no defendings or whatever. But like, didn't really get anything new out of it. Actually, got nothing new out of it. So I wasn't expecting anything new out of this. Boy, 
Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, first of all, Tommy Dreamer has essentially been suspended from Impact Wrestling because of his comments on this. And I've been trying to look and and see. Uh, yeah, they, I finally I, I was looking for like a reputable source. Here's the thing, right? So let's let's look at this right now. So PWI PW Insider, excuse me, reports that Impact Wrestling's Ed Norholm sent an email to the roster and staff announcing that Tommy Dreamer has been suspended indefinitely. He said, he said that Dreamer's comments on Dark Side of the Ring were out of line with our core values. He added that Dreamer was asked to leave effective immediately from today's TV tapings. Finally, it noted that if anyone had questions to ask him, Gil Kim, or Scott Demore, Dreamer has yet to uh, talk about it. Now, we're going to get to the Tommy Dreamer stuff in a second, right? Because I actually, when I was watching it, right, and it's funny because I, I had to watch it, like, over and over, right? Like, not over and over, but, like, the first one I found, because the Vice app on the Roku TV is so crappy. It's, like, extremely crappy. Like, you'll be, like, 15 seconds ahead of, like, where the words are. So it's hard to watch television like that. So I just, I can't do Vice. I, I want to support the channel, and I don't have cable. Um, but I don't know no other way to support it besides the vi- besides downloading the app, right? And maybe the, the the phone app may work better if it's on phone. So maybe I'll try that next week. Anyways, um, so I went to YouTube. And bo- that thing about these YouTubers, especially with Dark Side of the Ring, once one pops up, they all literally just keep going. And they keep transferring it over and over. So anyways, the first one I watched was a, a mess. So I watched the first one. And it got to like the 28 minute, no, the 19 minute mark. And then it starts from the beginning, but it's only a 40 minute video. I was like, what? So then I got out of it, went to another video. I got to, the, again, I got, I fast forward to 19 minute mark, then watched like the 28 minute mark. Then YouTube shut that one down. So I kept going and finally, like, I found a video where I could watch the entire thing in its entirety. And like, I ended up watching the whole thing over and over because it kept being taken down from YouTube. But once one would get taken down, like 85 would pop up. No lie. All you do is type in Dark Side of the Ring, da, 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 and it was just, right? So anyways, um, so finally when I watched it, I noticed something about Dreamer that was different than everyone else. And by the way, they interviewed Justin Kreble, Jim Ross, uh, Mike Kyoto, Rob Van Dam, Dreamer, and one of the stewardesses that was on that flight. So it's a good amount of people. And the fact that you got JR, who was head of talent relations, who has been very open about how much he hates talking about it. He says he never wants to talk about it again. And also the fact that he he's taken responsibility because he was technically in charge of talent relations. So, first of all, no one's going to stop people on that plane. You have Kurt Henning, you have Brock Lesnar. Jim Ross is all of... 250 pounds he is and he's not a wrestler he they would just toss him around right if they want to but he's been very open like i said everyone who's talked about this incident i'm doing air quotes you can't see me there doing air quotes right there but um has been very open with their what they feel their mistakes whatever right air quotes again um but the one thing i've noticed from the very beginning was dreamers this uh, disposition let's say deposition ugh. Uh, disposition was much different from everybody else's. Rob Van Dam was more laid back. He wasn't throwing anyone under the bus, but he was definitely saying, "Hey, this no, this was a bad, this was a bad situation." You know, he wasn't like running away from it, right? 
Um, Mike Kyoto was, even though he was laughing, he was like, dude, we were terrible people, dude, blah, blah, blah. This is, and this is why we got treated the way we got treated. Like, everyone's owning it. Every, literally, everyone is owning it. Except for Tommy Dreamer. He's defensive. And like I said, man, like, like I didn't know how to take it. I really didn't. I wasn't even, literally, after I watched the episode, I wrote that one line I told you guys about. I said, uh, yeah, Dark Side of the Ring. I still haven't had a chance to think about it. So I'm sitting there watching it. Blah, 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 blah. So then I watched one ep- I watched the episode and I cut it off and go to sleep. Wait back up, watch it again. And I'm just like, why do I not have any feelings towards this situation? Like like why I just didn't understand why I left feeling weirded out, but at the same time like why don't i feel this why sh- i should feel something right and the stewardess to me i didn't i know everyone's gonna say hey the victim is she took money she's this she's that blah, blah. that's your opinion you're stupid but that's your opinion i think she came off as very just honest and likable as far as just like hey this is i took the money my husband didn't want my daughter to find out about this um but and i don't really want to talk about this, but if this helps one victim step up and say, hey, I, I, this, I went through this. I'll talk about this 24, 25 more times. It's worth it. You know, I, I, look here, dude. That's the thing we have to stop doing is shame victim, uh, sh- victim, sh- victim shaming. That's not, that's not a thing. Shaming the victims. How do I reverse that? Shaming the victims. And then it makes people who are really victims come up. And then, and according to her, she was a victim. And it was another stewardess who did not appear, who was a victim, who was the one who initially filed lawsuit against WWE. And she told the other one that when I was on the interview, said, hey, you should join in. Right. So, like I said, I still didn't know how to feel until maybe as I record this, it's Friday the 17th at 1.56. We've been going for about a few minutes now. I really just didn't know how I felt until maybe like 11 o'clock today in the morning. And I was like. Damn, Dreamer came off as pretty shitty. <laughs> I was like, maybe I was in denial because, like I said, I've never seen Dreamer like that before. Like I, said, I don't, I don't watch many of his interviews. You know, he's he's not anyone that I'm like, I'm searching on YouTube and I'm like, oh, let's look at Tommy Dreamer. Shoot, I just, you know, like he does. He, he's a very interesting guy, but I just, he's not one of those people I seek out. You know, and so, um. I just said, man, Dreamer came off as pretty unlikable, right? Especially when you see someone like RVD saying, well, yeah, man, you be careful when you watch your heroes you know, or when you meet your heroes. Some of these people are freaks. You know, we say that, stuff like that. And um, and Ric Flair has always denied that he did this. Here's the problem, though. He's denying that he's doing this. At the same time, everyone else on this thing, on this interview, everyone else in interviews previous has said that he did the helicopter, essentially. He would be in his robe, butterball naked. He would wave his penis around like a helicopter, and he would do put it in front of women. This is something that he's been doing since the 80s. So it's not like... He, he, it's, like it's not like this is a, a secret that's coming out of the bag just for Dark Side of the Ring. A ton of wrestlers will laugh and say he did it, right? Um, And, and so... It just so happened that it was bad. And according to the stewardess, she was like, never in her life. Because what happened is, on the way home, 
they were end up getting delayed. So they ended up going through one card of liquor. They went through two cards. They went through three cards. She said she had never, since then or before, had a plane ride where it went through three cards of liquor. That can only be disastrous, right? And so um, Brock Lesnar, Kurt Hanger got into it as far as just like wrestling and they ended up in the emergency door, which was not going to come open, but no one else knew that. And Dreamer was very flip about it. They was like, there's no way that door was going to open. And the stewardess confirmed. Yeah, there's no way that it was going to open, but they didn't know that. You know, but that's why you should be in their seat, right? Blah, 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 right? And so, and she brought up a good point. She was like, when, like, that that type of service, they they care to the rich and wealthy, and these people want their privacy. That's why they're paying the premium they're freaking paying, right? Um, so she's kind of in a rock and a hard place. She's had a situation where, and she said, I don't think he was trying to rape me. But he definitely violated me. So she didn't ever say anything about rape or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And Dreamer, and I'm all over the place, but this is this this whole thing is less about the plane right from hell and more about how Dreamer reacted. So Dreamer makes the comment, well, if she really felt that way, she shouldn't have taken the money. She should have uh, gone all the way with it. She really felt like she was in danger. Air quotes, no air quotes, you can't see me doing air quotes. And I was like, I remember the second time I watched it, I said, man, I don't think I would have said that out loud. <laughs> you know, even if I felt that way, which I wouldn't, I don't, I definitely would not have gone on camera to say that. And then he was comparing his hair being in two buns to offending somebody to that. It, it, the, the analogy made no sense. It just it just didn't make sense. It was a dumb analogy. And I was just kind of like, uh, okay, thumbs up. Like, you understand what I'm talking about? I was like, all right, you know. So, anyways, then, like after he's making, he's, he, like he's really like not impressed with the fact that Dark Side of the Ring producers got this woman to talk, right? He's really just like shitting on her. He said, "Hey, it's a, it's a, it's a joke. It's but we it's something we do." And then he makes a comment of, um, "Now you could never do that. Back then, it was commonplace for us." And my first thought was, and this is a very extreme thought, and I know it is, So, but whatever, follow me. How I took that was, are you saying sexual assault was like, or violation, or whatever term you want to use, was good back then and bad now? Like, <laughs> you know, just the way he put these things, and because he was the only one flip about it. Like, when you hear JR talk, he sounds really pissed off, like... I, I I own it. No, they fucked up. I fucked up. Blah, blah, blah. This and third. And by the way, Vince McMahon and his wife were on this plane as well. Which adds more to this. Um, But like, it was just weird. Because uh, JR's angry. Justin Cribble's like, like you know, I'm just there trying to pick the pieces up. Because Scott Hall apparently was a mess. And Scott Hall apparently licked the stewardess. And he was on pills and drunk or whatever. And Scott Hall says he has no recollection of it. But the one thing I've always appreciated about Scott Hall and Shawn Michaels is they don't deny anything. They're like, oh, I was so fucked up on Halcyon and whatever H-bombs that if you say I did it, I believe you. I just don't remember it because I was being a terrible human being on drugs and liquor. Like, I've never, and once again, someone pointed out to me where they denied something. But anytime I've seen Shawn Michaels, like, be accused of something, he's like, 
okay, if you say it, I don't remember it, but if you say so, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you, with you about it because I don't remember, you know, which isn't, which is a very convenient, I get it out. But at the same time, we all know about these two histories, especially Scott Hall, especially Scott Hall. He doesn't remember most of his fucking period of time when he was the hottest thing going in wrestling. So I'm sitting there, like I said, and my kill, except my kill is like laughing myself. He's like, but he's laughing about it more in the context of how I took it was he was laughing about it more in the context of no dude, like these people were just hanging on dealing with us. And he was like, this crew was not the crew. Like he's to do this. Like apparently, like back in the day, like when you had private planes, these crews would hang out with the wrestlers and a party and all this other shit. And, like, these guys just went too far, the WWE people, wrestlers. So he was like, yeah, I, I get why, because we went too freaking far, you know? So I'm sitting there, like, everyone is, like, really just, like, owning this. Oh, yeah, by the way, Terry Reynolds. I forgot about that. She was a part of this interview, too. She reveals <laughs> that Brock Lesnar just showed his dick off there to her, exposing himself. And then <clears throat> Goldust was like, no, sell it, no, sell it. And then when Golda starts singing to her, saying no, and like, I, like everyone's looking at her saying, no sell it, no sell it. And then the producer or the interviewer would actually say, how come everyone's constantly telling you to no sell something? She's like, that's just what you, that's what you gotta do. And apparently Jim Ross, because apparently everyone was asleep at this point, right? And where's my water? And let me get some water. Oh, sweet Jesus. This is, why I'm not, this is why I'm doing this in parts and not recording it all at once. Because... I don't know. I don't know how long these these segments are gonna go. Anyway, so Terry Runnels was saying how like they they were divorced by this time. Her and Goldust, Dustin. And so everyone's asleep apparently. He starts singing to her, embarrassing her, and Jim Ross has to get up and say, "Hey, Goldust." Apparently, the words Jim Ross says used was, "Hey, stop being an ass. Sit down and sleep." Right. And he wakes everyone up after he had, gets on a PA to sing to his then ex-wife, still ex-wife. Um. <laughs> so. Um, it, it, this whole thing was a fucking mess, and it's the funny part about it is the thing that's gonna get buried the most is Brock Lesnar exposing himself to Terry Runnels because of the things that supposedly Ric Flair did, the things the things that Dreamer just freaking said. Like that's gonna get buried in all of this. It was a great meme I saw. It was like Brock Lesnar watching Dark Side of the Ring looking at the corner of his eyes. Because it's true. Because just randomly in the middle of the episode, Terry Rollins says, oh, yeah, by the way, Brock Lesnar exposed himself to me like a, a dick. And I was like, <laughs> it was like when you're talking to somebody, you're having a great conversation, and then all of a sudden, they bring up, yeah, you know, it's, ugh, my best friend died yesterday. It's like, what, wait, wait, what? Like, where'd this come from? Like, why are you being so random right now? Like, sorry for your loss, but this is random. Why don't you say this to begin with, right? This is, like, literally, like, I want to say, and, and don't quote me, but you can quote me, I don't give a shit. It has to be, like, at the 22, 23-minute mark. Where now we're getting into this Ric Flair stuff. And all of a sudden, yeah, by the way, Brock Lesnar, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, all right. But then it gets made worse. Like I said, it didn't, the lead really gets buried because Dreamer is the only one that's defensive. Everyone else is just like, well, you know, uh, this kind of happened and wasn't right and blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, you know, this is, this is, and that's why I didn't know how to take it. Because I was just like, damn, Dreamer, like, you, you coming off like someone said this about you. 
And here's the thing I want to be careful in saying as well. We don't know what's left on the cutting room floor. We don't know the kind of questions they were asking. And he that which could have offended him. Now, he should have known that um he should have known that um they're gonna play what they want to play. <laughs> so it's still up to you. It's kind of people who say stuff on Vlad TV. It's a hip hop interviewer for those who don't know what that is. It's for those, it's those those people. It's for people who do Vlad interviews, and he keeps that little snippet where he's triggered them, and then all of a sudden they come off looking like dicks. And then Vlad always says, "Well, I don't put a gun in these people's heads. They come to me do interviews. All I, all I do is ask," which he's not wrong about, you know. Um. So we don't know that. So if we're, if we're being fair, playing both sides of the fence, which is fine with me, I don't give a shit. That could have been the thing that triggered him. However, I'm assuming they asked him the same questions they asked all six or six other people. And even the stewardess said very, you know, in the nicest way, he wasn't trying to rape me. I didn't get that feeling at all. But he did violate me. So... No, to, that's what I'm saying. So I don't think they would ask the question of, do you think he was trying to rape her? I just don't think that was it. But they were trying. But he took it as they were calling Rick Flair a predator. But here's the thing, Flair's been called this already because Flair has the 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 thing that everyone says he does is the helicopter. That's that's what we're gonna call it. So that's what he called it in the show. But he's been doing that for years, and everyone has always said he did it. It was he did it to get a laugh, which is fine. Now everyone's going to find that funny. Doesn't matter if it's 2003, 2002, 1983, or 2000, 2022. Um, but yeah, this was an interesting episode. And, oh, he's not, he's not going back to TNA for a while. Or Impact, whatever you want to call it. Um, this, will need to, this is going to need to go away. really because I don't. And this thing, also, I don't have wrestling Twitter. I don't have Twitter at all. So I don't know how people are reacting to it. Um, I don't know how many people are offended, how many people are not offended. Um, matter of fact, what I can do is let's let's while we're thinking about this right now, because the reason why I um, let me see, because I'm on Instagram right now, right, and I have not watched the comments. I've not read the comments yet. You know, but Twitter's the best place for this, obviously. Let's see. Some people are saying how they don't think anyone will take part in it. But, I mean, they, well, there's still five more episodes, so some people did take part in it. I mean, seems like no, no one's really blaming Dark Side of the Ring. They shouldn't, though. Like, everyone knows what Dark Side of the Ring is. You know? Anyways. Once again, it's his opinion. He can feel however he wants to feel. Um, but I just wanted to start the episode off with this, because I was like, ugh, this is going to be... I didn't. There's no way to fit this in anywhere else, right? So I was like, you know what? We're going to get back to the regular show. I was like, you know what? Let's just record this now. Put this at the beginning. You're going to then hit the intro, and then we're, we're going to get into the regular show. 
But um, those are my thoughts on Dark Side of the Ring because I'm I'm 100% sure. I had, a, I had like 20 people send me emails. I'm like I'm pretty sure I'm getting more emails over the weekend as this just gets out now. Because um, like I said, a lot of people didn't even know. If you have cable, and I don't know many people that do have cable still actually. To be honest with you. So a lot of times people are watching on YouTube or these apps or whatever. So those are my thoughts on it. I thought it was a good episode. Like I said, I didn't. I had heard that they sell a lot of court with some people. But that part of the story about him doing the helicopter and then this or Scott Hall licking this one's face. And um, I think what I enjoy about Dark Side of the Ring so much is you see the, the, the air quotes victim side as well. Um, I, I don't want to call them victims. Uh, the other side. You, you see, you, you hear the other side. And you, uh, and like I said, man, like I, said, I don't think Tommy Dreamer would have gotten any flack for his opinion. It just came out, it just came out, dude, it came out so gross and disgusting in this situation. It came out like, yeah, bitch, this happened. Take your ass home. That's how it came out. Pretty brutal. So, um... Anyways, those are my thoughts. You're going to hear the intro play. Um, I know so you, a lot of you guys missed the intro. You guys kept bothering me about it. You guys will get it back uh, now after this. Um, but yeah. 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 What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. I see things a little differently. I am the Soul Chemical, and this is your Monday show for this week. I am super excited to be recording this as we have a new WWE champion. We have another contract coming up. We have another Samoa Joe injury. We have a new NXT heavyweight champion. We have a lot of stuff going on this week. This week will be broken down in three parts. We have the HBK profile I promised you from last week that coincides with the Bret Hart profile we did last week. We have it, uh, a segment alone that is probably going to be put ahead of this. So this, I guess, I guess will be the introduction of the introduction? Question mark? We'll talk about the plane ride from hell, which stuff we already knew, but... Tommy Dreamer made it a whole lot more interesting this week. <laughs> um, but you guys are probably going to hear that before you hear this anyway. So, anyways, um, I'm super excited about this show. Um, yeah, I, I just it's, it was an f- interesting week in wrestling. So, let's get right to it. For those of you who care about Impact, I did see that Rhino signed a new contract with Impact, which is just cool. You know, glad he's still finding... Uh, People still find use for him. He's a great talent. I think he's one of the most underappreciated talents of all time. Um, I've always liked Rhino. So congrats on him on getting a new contract. 
Uh, let's start with the biggest news of the week. There's two things that are big news, but this one was the biggest. We were definitely promised a title change. They did everything in their power to promise this title change. They delivered. Big E cashed in after Bobby Lashley defended his WWE Heavyweight Championship. <coughs> excuse me. Against Randy Orton successfully. Um, he tweaked his knee, putting Randy Orton through a table, which led to Big E coming out, cashing in, and becoming the fourth black heavyweight champion, the third in the last three years alone. Congratulations to Big E. Congratulations to New Day. Um, apparently, according to Ryan Satin, this was supposed to happen actually on the night of the draft. The draft has been announced for October 1st on Raw. So supposedly, October 1st Raw was going to be a draft, and it was going to lead to a Big E winning the WWE Championship, but they pulled the trigger early. Um, hot shotting, some people have a problem with it, I don't care. To me, this was always the plan. First of all, I think we always knew that he was he was going to successfully cash in and become the WWE Champion. To me, the biggest thing I took from this was... I started thinking about it, right? And where's my water? My water's right here. Fantastic. Let's take a sip of that first. The biggest thing I took from this was New Day spot in history. So you could always argue that Shield's better and Shield had more of an impact and yada, 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 right? And if it's your opinion, it's your opinion. I don't. I'm not here to change minds. I'm here to give my opinion. Have fun while we're doing it. Um,. That produced three produced three world champions in a whole lot of accolades. That's that's still being felt to this day. John Moxley is the forbidden door, um, having the time of his life fighting New Japan wrestlers. Um, but let's talk about New Day. Something that was a dead gimmick, clearly meant to just kill all three of these guys and get them released. They got it over. They, I, I don't know the numbers on merchandise. I've tried looking that up. If I would love to, if anyone, if any one of the fans in the audience knows how to look up who sells the most merchandise, please send me that link. I will do the research myself, but I'm assuming they still sell a ton of merchandise. Um, they just, and them being a black group is so important, man, because I, they're definitely the most, they're definitely the most popular and the most, um, uh, successful black faction of all time. Without a doubt. If you take away their 11... Since the time they've been together, which is what, six, five, six years? They produced two WWE champions, 11 world championships. I mean, it's just been very interesting. To me, their place in... I know a lot of people gave them flack, gave WWE flack for uh, um, naming them the greatest group of all time, and that's it's, it's all opinion-based, dude. If you don't think this group is now top 10 at least, I don't know what to tell you. Because my thing is they've done all this. In, and once again, when WWE names this, they're talking about WWE, right? To me, Legion of Doom didn't do much in WWE. They're two-time tag team champions. They, the, the height of their success was SummerSlam 92. and But otherwise, they didn't do much in the WWE. If you're talking about wrestling as a general and, and as a whole... That is something that we can discuss at a later date. I'm talking about the success in the WWE in World Wrestling Entertainment. I just think that they have to be top five, you know? 
I would need to think about this. As a matter of fact, it might be something fun to do on next week's show. Start some anger controversy. I, I love doing that. Um, but I just think that, the, for me, they're, as of right now, they're top five. I need to really rethink about the, what certain teams and groups have done in WWE. I need to look that up. But, man, Big E, in a time that they split the New Day, in one year, it was a year this month they split the New Day in the last draft. which was, Or it was either August or September. It was I think it was September the draft was. They split the New Day up last year. In one year, Big E has become Intercontinental Champion. Mr. Money in the Bank, and now WWE Champion in one year. Man, it's not just about Big E. It's about the faction as a whole and how they're just, I don't know, man. To me, they're they're the most successful faction. Oh, black faction in WWE history, in my opinion. So congratulations to him. Uh, Shout out to Bobby Lashley. Did a great job selling, really putting E over. I loved how... Bobby Lashley's like trying to get out of the match, trying to get out of the match. Big E goes up, slaps him in the face. All you see is this intensity going on Bobby Lashley's face. He, says, he looks at her and says, ring the fucking bell. I loved it. I actually watched, only watched Raw for this. I I called it last Monday. I said, he's going to win the championship. I watched it just for this reason to see this moment. Congratulations to him, the new day. Uh, I'm praying that this is going to be a lengthy run. They're already teasing a Roman Reigns Big E, Big E said it. He said, um, see you at Survivor Series Roman Reigns, which is going to be a fantastic match. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And we're going to hit Raw and SmackDown since I just brought that up. Big E did confront uh, Roman Reigns and the Bloodline on SmackDown alone. He ended up, uh, him and Finn Balor ended up winning a tag team match against the Usos. Then they promptly beat down Big E, which then leads to a tag team match this Monday. Which leads to Bloodline versus the New Day, and that's gonna be a fun match. They were they were already saying were rumors that Roman Reigns was gonna be on a, a, a new edition of Raw, um, obviously because of the football and because AEW they need to move the needle a little bit more. But I'm hoping that this is a lengthy run for a Big E. Also, it was announced. <coughs> Excuse me, my excitement. Also, it was announced. It is official. You will have Roman Reigns. He's going to be defending the Universal Championship. Saudi Arabia, Brock Lesnar. Um, Roman Reigns, I said this a month ago. He's just running the gauntlet at this point. He is just running the gauntlet. It's 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 fun. And here's the thing, here's the thing though. No one should be beating him yet. If I was them, I would wait till WrestleMania. I don't know. I see my, my prediction was Big E. But since he won money in the bank, I don't know who's winning the Royal Rumble. But whoever it is to defeat Roman Reigns, to get that belt off of him, is going to have to be one hell of a name or someone that you're really trying to put over. Who that is, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch, though. Um, And the last part about Raw I will hit is nothing to do with New Day Roman Reigns. It is definitely... There was controversy last week because uh, people were not happy that Jeff Hardy was in the smudge of 24-7 challengers. Jeff Hardy did do an interview. He was very gracious. He said, hey, I, I'm just here to do what they want me to do, you know, which he is, you know. Um, I didn't think much of it, you know, because I just, 
they haven't been doing anything with Jeff Hardy anyway. Should he be? No, he shouldn't, obviously. But I think Jeff is just happy to have a job, you know. And and plus his body's beat to shreds. He, he's not. He's a he's a shelving former self. Like should he have? Should the legends get more respect? Yeah, I just don't think WWE knows how to do that sometimes. You know, I just I just don't think so. But that's just my opinion. So that's my opinion on that. And we're gonna leave it at that. Um, the last bit of news we'll get for WWE is Samoa Joe. As I, like once the show was recorded last week, I, I went. I wanted to talk about this so bad and do a show unto itself, but then the Hawkeye trailer dropped, and I said, "I'll just." I'm not gonna force wrestling. I, I do know you guys hate it. At least the, the Wednesday tuners. The, the Wednesday listeners, when they listen, they listen for the pop culture stuff, the Marvel, the DC, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They hate when we talk about wrestling on there. So I try to honor that. Because um, Monday always has wrestling, um, except for when we're doing the snacks, the Zack Snyder stuff. But, uh, but I want to talk about this so badly. Samoa Joe injury. I know some people think it's fake. I don't know if it's real or not. This feels like the end of his career, though. It's unfortunate. Like this, just just feels like the end. He he he's the one to take the belt off carrying cross. He he has that moment. He's a three-time NXT champion. Redemption, his first match in years, and he's injured, and this just feels like the end. And uh, I don't think he's gonna ever announce his retirement, but if he ever does, we're gonna do a show on it. To me, he is the most important champion in OH history. He is a flagship for Knockout um, for TNA. Um, I don't know. It's just I, I'm, I'm gonna hold off, but uh, it just sucks, you know. So, anyways, there was a Phil four-way match that was supposed to be Kyle O'Reilly, L.A. Knight, Champa, and Dunn, and I could have swore Dunn was going to win this because then on Monday it was announced that Pete Dunn signed a new three-year deal that was offered to him before Triple H had his cardiac attack. So I could have swore I said, "All right, this is going to be his thing." Well, so many things happened in this situation. One, Kyle O'Reilly was taken out, and they put Wagner in there. And Wagner's a, they see a lot in this guy. So then LA Knight has a match earlier in the night where he loses to Rick Steiner's son. You know, and then you just have this. Then Knight was busted open in this failed four-way. Champa wins. I did not see that coming. He's a two-time NXT champion. He gets back the belt. He never actually lost. To me, they had him win because he's gonna be the perfect guy to lose the belt to. All of a sudden, Rick Steiner's son. At the end of the night, congratulates him while staring at the NXT Championship, uh, staring at Goldie, and Champa notices this and just looks at him back. And they're if he's already in the title picture, they see big things in this guy's future. He, he did well, you know, in the match earlier against uh, LA Knight, um, but apparently they see really big things for him. Um, I don't think Champa's holding on to Goldie f- very long. Um, the production side of NXT 2.0 was very different. It was, um, more colorful. It definitely looked like more of a Raw and SmackDown feel. Um, it's TBD is right now. I only watched this show to see the conclusion of the, the wedding, the, the culmination of the index getting married. And then once Samoa Joe was, you know, now he's vacating the title, I had to see who was going to be on it. But, uh, I wouldn't expect too much uh, this. I mean, for as far as like, NXT for the next few weeks, um, but overall, this was 
decent, you know. I did enjoy the the the, the fact that I was wrong because I thought they were gonna Gargano was gonna be a heel, the top heel. I thought they were gonna have him do it here. I was very happy to see this wedding go off without a hitch. It was perfect. The comedy was in the right spots. Um, Austin Theory was the MVP of it. Uh, to me, I really enjoyed the wedding. I know Kevin Neff produced it, so some people don't want to give him credit. This was a fun watch. I know some people do not like the goofiness, but this was a fun watch, this wedding. Um, completely worth the 10 minutes that, is, that it is. It's just 10 minutes. It's just, to me, it's so worth it. Um, and finally, Johnny Gargano, speaking of Gargano, his contract expires in December. I believe Candice LeRae said it expires in March. They want to offer him a new contract, but they will do that in the fall as his contract comes near. I don't see him leaving. Um, I, I just don't see him leaving. I don't see him or Champa leaving. Um, personally, you know, uh, but that's just me. You know, I, I, I didn't see Pete Dunn leaving either. Adam Cole is a different story. But these these two, I just don't see them leaving. I think they'll be happy, you know, with their positioning. So, lastly, let's get to some AEW. We have a long show this week. Um, is official. Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega non-title at the Arthur Ashe show next week. I am looking forward to being locked and loaded on that TV screen when that comes on. It will be fun. Um... It, it, because it's not a title, it makes me think Brian's going to win. Um, but we never know. Uh, Adam Cole does win his first match against Frankie Kazarian, which was a good match. Uh, Kazarian is so underrated. Uh, I know he's currently doing the Elite Hunter thing, but uh, it was good to see him in a match. Uh, Punk gets laid out by Team Taz. It will be CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs, Rampage. And just so you guys know, Rampage is live in two hours as well this week, so just keep that in mind. Uh, Darby Allen defeats Sean Spears at the end of the match, so FTR and Telly Blanchard lay him and Sting out. Sting takes a spiked pile driver, which was... Look here, man. He just He's, he's living his best life, and I ain't mad about it, you know? Um, and lastly, Cody Rhodes returns to assist Rosario Dawson as him and Malachi Black brawl into the backstage area. To me, I still feel like when this was announced two weeks ago, I still feel the same way I felt then. Cody needs to lose again. <laughs> he does not need to win. Cody needs to lose again. And I do think he will lose. So I am super happy for this Arthur Ashe show. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Um, and it's just, it's, it's going to be a hell of a couple of months. It's been a hell of a month for wrestling fans. It's going to be a hell of a couple of months for wrestling fans as well. So, anyways, next up, those are your news and notes for the week. My thoughts on that stuff. Uh, but really, the, the meat of this episode is the wrestler profile, HBK. We, we, we actually changed it. It was going to be Survivor Series 95 until the Montreal Screwjob. I felt that Shawn Michaels had such an interesting 95, more so than Bret Hart. Bret Hart, to me... His 95 didn't get interesting until he won the WWE Championship and Survivor Series, which is why we started there. Um, but I feel like Shawn Michaels had in his whole 95 and 96 and 97 was so action-packed. We went through the entire 95 till Montreal Screwdrive. So that is up next. You'll hear DJ Scratch, and then you'll be there. So 
anyways, that is your uh, notes for this week. I'll see you guys Wednesday. We'll talk about injustice. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This week's wrestler profile is HBK. I was going to do Survivor Series 95, like I did Bret Hart last week, where you could see how they collided. But I decided, really, HBK's entire 95 needs to be talked about, because that's the thing that built up to the collision course of him and uh, Bret Hart. Um, so that's how we're going to do it. So Shawn Michaels starts off 95 winning the Royal Rumble, the first man to ever go coast to coast. It was definitely the shortest Royal Rumble in history, and it felt that way. It was really fast-paced action, but there was no one in this Rumble outside of Luger and Bulldog that were ever going to win this thing. Um, but either way, I always enjoyed the Rumble, maybe because it was faster-paced, and also at the same time, the, the chemistry between Jim Raw, uh, from Jerry Lawler and McMahon on commentary. At one point, Jerry Lawler says, hey, I keep a stopwatch of it. You see Mickey's left hand, and you hear Vince say, Mickey's left hand. It was, I still, I don't know why it's funny to me, but I get, I get a chuckle from it every time, so I appreciate it. Anyways, fast forward to WrestleMania 11. Uh, Shawn Michaels loses his championship match to Diesel in one of the worst-looking powerbombs in all of history. And um, this is the match that turned Shawn babyface, essentially, which, according to Kevin Nash, he said in interviews plenty of times, he said, oh, you do this, Sean's turning babyface. Like, the fans will turn him babyface. And he sure enough was, the very next now on Raw, Sid, who was his new bodyguard after him and Diesel broke up, turns on him, turning Sean heel, we turn Sean face. Diesel comes out to make the save, which leads to a match between Diesel and uh, Sid for a championship. But this takes uh, Sean off of TV for a while. When he comes back, he starts uh, hosting the Heartbreak Hotel, which was an interview uh, uh segment that he did it wasn't it for me i don't remember any moments on the heartbreak hotel that were ever pivotal to wrestling you know like the barbershop always has the infamous rockers breakup you know um or something like that or uh the piper interview section where he knocks uh, superfly in the head with a coconut you know something like that anyways when he returns he returns to a qualifying match for the king of the ring he goes to a draw with kama mustafa Yes, a draw with Kama Mustafa. But at the time, they were they were pushing Kama, so they were really trying to protect him, and they were obviously protecting Sean. But he was he wasn't as hot as he would get Sean, but he was getting there. You saw the cra- crowds going crazy as he's tuning up the van for Sweet Chin News. Like you start seeing what you would end up seeing in '96. You know, it was pretty pretty interesting. He would end up winning the Intercontinental Championship at In Your House Two against Jeff Jarrett, in which was a really good match. I think it was the best match of the night. Um, in your house three, HBK and Diesel put their Intercontinental and WWE championships on the line against Yokozuna and Arnhardt. It was a match for all the titles, and so, um, this was a decent match with Diesel. That's they were called two dudes with attitudes, Shawn Michaels and Diesel were. They ended up winning all the belts, and then they would forfeit them like a week later, the tag team titles. Um, but that was there was no way to. You couldn't have either one of them lose. They were both so hot. Well, Sean was so hot, or getting to be so hot. Diesel was your world champion. You couldn't pin either of them unless you had some type of smog finish. So this, I, I never understood the logic behind this match. Um, however, um, it did happen. And so I guess they found out the best way to get out of it was, hey, just have them forfeit the, the tag team titles. Let's get to SummerSlam 95. Their ladder rematch. Some people think this match is actually better than their WrestleMania 11 match. I do think 
it's more creative in the fact that they 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 had a mandate from this man. We we we're not doing blood. We're not doing guts. We're not doing uh, violence like that anymore on a wrestling program. Imagine that. And um, he was like, you can't hate each other with the ladders. And apparently, it was Triple H that laid that entire match out. According to Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, they were all hanging out at the time. This was the click was like really coming together, and everyone's thinking about how in the hell are we gonna do this match? And Triple H apparently was the one that laid it all out for them, and then they went in there and executed. The only botch in the match actually was the very end. Excuse me, Tennessee we were where. Sean's lat where the, the ladder fell and Sean kind of had timber tantrum because it didn't go the way he wanted it to go. And um he ended up climbing up and getting it, retaining it. Um I don't know what match is better because I've only actually I've seen the WrestleMania 10 ladder match a dozen times. I've only seen the SummerSlam 95 match maybe twice. F that, you know. Um so I don't know. That's a good question. I don't need to actually watch them both back to back again um, to see how I feel. Because this is a different dynamic. They're both faces at this time, and Sean's a champ, undisputed champ. And I don't know. I don't need to. That's a good question, but I don't. I don't have an answer for that right now. But um, anyways, let's fast forward to where the infamous beating in the bar happens. I've heard this story a billion times, and it's. Sometimes you hear it was five guys. Sometimes you hear it was 12. Sometimes you hear it was 50. Um, but some Marines beat Sean up pretty good. Uh, according to some people, he deserved it. According to some people, he didn't deserve it. Let's go with whatever. When it was, he ends up having to, and when he shows up on television and he forfeits the Intercontinental Championship, you see him with this huge black eye like under his right eye. So they got him pretty good. When it was, he ends up forfeiting it to Dean Douglas, a.k.a. Shane Douglas, with a different uh, with a school teacher gimmick here. And this match in, in his title reign, Dean Douglas, didn't last long. He um, ended up losing it later tonight to Razor Ramon, uh, which then led him to going back to ECW pretty quickly after that. Well, anyway, Sean's 95 is over after that. Like, he has a severe concussion or whatever, essentially. Um, but they how they write him off television is he has this match with Owen Hart. And this is one of the most... Uh, uh, I know genius is overused. How how do I? And one, one of the most clever ways to write someone on television back then with hardly any internet, any people talking, not many people that know insider stuff. Air quotes, no air quotes. You can see me doing air quotes. Sean takes the enziguri, and I think I don't think I, I'm not gonna sit here and say that, that was the first time the enziguri was used in pro wrestling. I will say it's the first time I've ever seen anyone use the enziguri, right? And it was Owen Hart. And it kicks him, whatever. And Sean makes the crowd go crazy, whatever. And all of a sudden, Sean, like, he grabs his head. He's like, looks like he's woozy. Then he collapses. And then the crowd goes silent. It was beautiful to watch. You didn't know what the hell was going on. So all of a sudden, Vince stands up like, there's no commentary. You just have the television on this guy who's laid out. Paramedics are all around him. Vince is like wiping his brow, like no, I don't know, I don't know, what am I supposed to do? I'm just a promoter. <laughs> and so, according to Sean in his documentary, uh, Heartbreaking Triumph, um, he said that him and Diesel had to push for that, like because uh, Vince wanted to talk during it. Hey, what's going on? And they were like, No, it has to be. They're gonna know what's a storyline if you're talking. 
If you stand up and you leave the, the booth, and by the time not many people knew who Vince McMahon was, because if you leave that 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 booth or the table at the time um, from your headset and they see you standing, they're gonna do now nowadays it'll be a get dig giveaway if you see him on television, right? If they pan the camera to him on purpose. Like you knew Mick Foley was messed up and Vince McMahon just got into the shot to ask if he was okay. But then you didn't know. You know, you didn't know. And like according to Sean, like people followed him to the hospital, like the paramedics couldn't even know. So he had to tell them later on, hey, I'm actually good. It's just a storyline. Don't say anything, blah, blah, blah. But it was one of the best ways to get him written off TV. So essentially, he was written off TV. And like I said, I'm not saying that's the first time the Enziguri was ever used in wrestling. I'm saying it's the first time I saw the move used. So anyways, he goes and he's he's announced for the Royal Rumble, 96. And he's the clear favorite. Like, I remember... There's very few people that got any kind of decent reaction in that Royal Rumble because Jake the Snake Roberts was making his long way return to WWE as well, right? Had a Christian gimmick, all this stuff. Jake Roberts got a good reaction, then Sean came out and the people went crazy. And I remember this Royal Rumble, and I remember I didn't watch it because that time I we had cable, I couldn't order pay per view, or whatever. We were broke, um, and so I remember vividly this. This last sequence was really cool. So the final four was Kamal Mustafa, Diesel, the British Bulldog, Shawn Michaels. So Shawn gets backdropped over the rope. The fans go crazy. They think he's eliminated. He lands on the apron. He goes under Bulldog's legs. Bulldog turns around, gets clothesline outside. Ten seconds later, can pan, the can camera pans out. You see Diesel take Kamal by the throat and just so essentially choke slam him out. Diesel then turns around before he can do anything. He takes a super kick, which eliminates him. The place goes crazy. And then we start seeing... Because Diesel wasn't full-fledged heel yet, in my opinion. He, yeah, he, 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 even though he was being more attitudinal, he was not a, he was not a heel yet. He was, in the, he was a tweener. Doc Hendricks, a.k.a. Michael Hayes. He goes, he says, hey, how you feel about your buddy when he says, he's only alive because I allow it. And I was like, oh, mm, mm. so he ended, up, he ended up getting in the ring and he ended up getting, getting Shawn goes a high five and it's all good. But that's when you start seeing the seeds being planted because just a match later, <clears throat> Diesel's cost the Undertaker the WWE Championship. Fast forward to In Your House uh, the, the following month. Shawn Michaels wants revenge on Owen Hart. He puts his WWE title shot on the line to get revenge against Owen Hart. This was a decent match. I remember the scariest part about it was, being a Shawn fan, Owen hit the enziguri. Shawn went flying outside the ring, doing the middle rope. And Owen, only thing he had to do was win the match. It didn't matter how he won. He's going to WrestleMania. Shawn barely makes it into the... the to, he's so good at selling. He's just amazing. Sean barely makes it into the ring at nine. The count of nine. And he ends up winning, retaining his shot. And that leads to the Iron Man match at WrestleMania. Where you see the, the famous zip line, the Iron Man match. Where it's the the boyhood dream. I said this in the Bret Hart profile last week. This is a very divisive match. Some people love it. The people that love it, love it. The people that hate it are like, oh, it's overrated. And nah, nah, nah. It's teach its own. Enjoy what you want to enjoy. Um, but to me, for as satisfying as, as this match was, as this, as this, this was for Sean fan. And at the time, remember, I wasn't a Brett fan, as I said, but came a Brett fan. 
right after the match when he take when the Canadian flag thrown at him, he throws it back into the crowd. That's when I was like, oh, there's something there. Um, even though I was really young. To me, the night after, when Sean faced, I can't remember who he was facing. He was facing somebody. He wins a match. All of a sudden, Diesel comes out, nails him with the WWE Championship belt. Sean goes, boom. He just does a 360 in the air and looks laid out. I remember the crowd was so, even though he just, you know, he was being a heel and he was definitely a heel against Taker. No one saw him turning his back, their back, his back on Shawn Michaels. Even though Sean already did to him years before, let's not go there. Um, he lays him out, and Sean was it's just such a loved person. You know, he just knows how he knows how to play psychology with people's hearts, man. He just does. Um, he lays him out, and he's the number one contender for the WWE Championship, right? So that leads to in your house, good friends, better enemies, great freaking name there, and this is the match of Diesel's career, in my opinion. This is the best match Diesel was ever in and this was a great match he powerbombed Shawn. it was a no disqualification match he powerbombed Shawn michaels through t- a table and you see vince pleading with sean don't just let it go damn it just let it go let him win and and sean's fighting him off he ends up taking off diesel does he takes off uh uh mad dog for sean's prosthetic leg so, uh, it just they use it as a weapon just such Oh my goodness! This was such a fun match to watch because you knew Sean's reign was in jeopardy. I don't think I felt that way again until Vader at SummerSlam '96, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but you you felt like, hey, this boyhood dream has just turned into a freaking nightmare. Um, he ends up winning and sending Diesel off to WCW, even though they did the curtain call. Um, a little, like a week or two later, because they still had some house shows they were doing. Um, and really, there's nothing to talk about with the current call with Shawn Michaels, because he didn't get affected by it. You know, like, Triple H was the one who got affected by it. Um, so, that's for another time, uh, if, if we even talk about it. Anyways, then this leads into the feud with the British Bulldog, which lasts two months. The feud started with, essentially, Di- uh, Diana accusing Shawn of, ironically, what we were talking about earlier in the episode, sexual assault. You know, and so Cornette is making, like, they they really went out of their way to sell. I remember, like, being such a young fan and being like, yo, is this dude a terrible dude? Like, Jim Cornette is just so good at, to me, that's why I just, to me, the three best managers of, of, in history are Jim Cornette, and this is no, no, no order, Jim Cornette, Bobby DeBrain Heenan, and Paul Heyman, because they just know I get that emotion out of you. It made me question, like, oh, should I be a fan of this guy? Is this dude a freaking creep, right? So the first match they have is that Beware of Dog. And it's the infamous match where uh, <laughs> apparently when the, the, this is the one where the lights went out the entire night, except for the main event. And so they think they're not recording. They think they're just doing it. Sean and Bulldog are just doing it for the live crowd. Well, then someone has to get into the referee's ear, which is Earl Hebner, and telling them, hey, man, they didn't get their butts in gear. This is on live pay-per-view. This is not a house show. So they go from just being in the motions to then actually wrestling and then it ends in the controversial double pin so in a double in the case of a tie sean keeps the belt the champion keeps the belt so then they're doing the match again then it was revealed that diana lied she was not sexually assaulted by sean michaels but this but this feud's still not over they end up having a match at king of the ring 96 which sean ends up winning and then this is when Camp Cornette, which at the time consisted of Owen Hart, who had the cast on, 
um, Bulldog and Vader. They come out to attack him. Ahmed Johnson, who's the Intercontinental Champion at the time, runs out to help. And then the returning Ultimate Warrior comes out. And they all clean house. All baby faces hold hands and they leave at the end of the night. Well, this is supposed to lead to In Your House in July. International incident. And it was supposed to be originally... Camp Cornette, Vader, Owen Hart, Bulldog versus Ultimate Warrior, Ahmed Johnson, the Intercontinental Champion, and Shawn Michaels. Well, Warrior gets fired for not showing up at live events or whatever story WWE was just to tell now. I remember, I still own the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. That's what he said in that DVD was he knows showed some events. I'm going to go off of that because they they're, 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 they're a lot more petty to bring out someone else's mistakes. And not, you know, when now it's this whole love fest with them so anyways um this goes to my point earlier about this is when i feel like oh his towering's in jeopardy camp Cornette wins when vader hits a vader bomb and pins Shawn michaels so now it's like holy crap this leads to the main event of SummerSlam 96 which is Shawn versus vader for the wwe championship now in this card you had the first ever boiler room brawl you had sid who was starting to get over like like anything, you know, he defeated the British Bulldogs. Savio Vega lost to Owen Hart. Jake Roberts lost to Jerry the King Lawler in a terrible match. So I remember watching this. And I watched this SummerSlam more than I watched any other SummerSlam because at the time there was something called the box. And it was how you, I'm dating myself here, but this is how you would steal pay-per-view and cable. There would be a chip placed in your cable box. You can get anything you wanted. So this is the first pay-per-view I ever got air quotes no air quotes you can't see me doing air quotes um and i saw i had a tape i had a vhs tape for like six or seven years until i've no longer had because i remember like the last tv i had before i got my first flat screen had a vcr and i will watch tapes all the time you know and um once i got a flat screen and no more vhs but i had that tape i i, I had a tape until like 2002 you know, I have for a long time. Anyways, um, this match is known for a few things. One, it restarted twice. Diesel first won via countout. Jim Cornette said, no, you're a coward, Sean. You're a loser. You got counted out on purpose. So then the match restarted. And then it ends up with Sean getting disqualified when he uses Jim Cornette's racket after Jim Cornette introduces the racket. So then Jim Cornette commences to start the match again. Then, this is when it led to... The moment where Sean's supposed to come up the top rope, they're supposed to move. He forgets his spot. Sean comes off, lands on his feet. You hear him. Bl- it's like when Undertaker got mad at a uh, Chronic for that team that you don't remember it was uh, Brian Adams and uh, someone else. And the, all you hear is Undertaker getting pissed off, and he's saying "feed, feed" as he's hitting them. And he keeps saying it, saying "feed, feed." You hear Sean say "stupid." Boom, stupid, and he kicks Vader in the head, square in the freaking head, right? Stupid. And so, um, there was supposed to be a trilogy of matches. Vader was supposed to lose this match originally, but then he had a rematch of Survivor Series and win the WWE Championship. Because of this match, though, that never happened, and that's why I said, got it, we'll get into that later. Or in a moment. And so, Sean ends up winning and retaining the championship in a clusterfuck of a main event. <laughs> Then you move forward to, to me, the match that Mankind, Mick Foley, is so uh, integral to the careers of a lot of 
the best way I can put this is pretty white boys. And hear me out, right? Mankind without him doing some of these matches for these guys, these guys don't get that toughness, that edge that they need. Sean at Mind Games in your house. I think Sean won by disqualification, but this match was all over the place. You had Sweet Chin Music hit within two, three minutes of the match. Mankind wouldn't stay down. They went through a table. I remember the table spot because I remember a guy standing up in clear camera view, putting his hands up and then putting his hands on his head like, oh my God, they just did that in WWE. Mind Games is also in Philadelphia, the place where they allowed ECW wrestlers to sit front row earlier fun fact for you guys um so it was pretty cool but without this match sean doesn't get that edge in my opinion like maybe he does because he's so he's so he's so good but this helped a lot of fancy oh okay i feel you i see you like you dig what i'm saying like this helped a lot of fans with that so anyways um this ends up because this was a whole smog like they were protecting mankind Shawn michaels Vader interrupted, Sid interrupted, Undertaker interrupted. It was a, it was a, it was, a, it was a mess. So then you move on, and then you end up having Shawn Michaels versus Sid for the WWE Championship at Survivor Series '97, '96. I remember vividly. I went, I was, I went around to everyone I knew in my neighborhood, and said, "Hey, I have fifteen dollars. The pay per view is thirty. Order it with me." No one wanted to do it. I remember this, I remember it vividly because I knew Sean was losing the championship. I knew he was. It just felt like it was time, if that makes any sense. And Sid, and Sid being the challenger was really random. And when I watched it, I had a chance to watch it later on, Sid, my God, was over. That New York crowd was all, that New York crowd was all about Sid. They hated Sean. Even after Sid nailed Jose Lothario with the camera and it's supposed to be the most dastardly thing ever. They were cheering. They could care less. All of a sudden, Sid hits Sean with the, the camera. Powerbomb, new WWE champion. That spot was supposed to be for Vader. That exact layout was what Jim Cornette pitched for Vader to win the championship. But Sean refused to work with Vader again because he felt Vader was too rough. Um, and so, all that that happened was supposed to happen for Vader. Then, anyways, fast forward. Now... The original plan, according to Bret Hart, was Sean was a win title back at the Royal Rumble, which Sean has confirmed. But then he was supposed to drop the belt to, at WrestleMania to Bret, and then it would be even one on one. When really they would not have been even, because Bret beat Sean when Sean was the Intercontinental Champion and Bret was WWE Champion. He made him tap out at SummerSlam, excuse me, at Survivor Series '94 or something like that, or '93. So it's like Bret sometimes he just he's his own biggest fan. And sometimes it's so hard to uh, to be like, dang, dude, like, um, why, why are you like this? Like, you dig what I'm saying? Like, why, why are you taking it so seriously? You know, I, I get that's how he is, but it's just really, really weird. But anyways, um, that apparently was the plan. Well, this night, Brett was getting his championship rematch, and um, 
And so he ends up getting interfered. Sean interferes by accident. Sean ends up brawling with Brett at the end after he cost Sean, uh, Brett the championship match. This leads to the Royal Rumble 97, where Shawn Michaels comes home to San Antonio. Uh, he, I think he had the flu this night. This match wasn't good. Uh, but he ends up regaining the championship from Sid and gets his second title reign. Only for it to be <laughs> two or three weeks later at Raw Thursday Raw, where he loses his smile. He forfeits the championship because apparently he found out he had no cartilage in his knee. They said he couldn't wrestle. And a lot of people don't believe this was even a real injury. But Sean says it was, so we'll go with that. Well, Sean has the next few months off. And all of a sudden, he comes back. He comes back, and he tags teams with Steve Austin. And in a surprising move, they end up winning tag team championships from Owen Hart and British Bulldog. But they're reluctant partners. So they they end up going one-on-one, which I think was the first time ever on pay-per-view that tag team champions went one-on-one with each other. Now... I believe Vince said that. I'm trying to remember that he would know it's his company. <laughs> Maybe he won't know. I, I thought the European Championship when it was first introduced, it was a tournament. The tournament led to the finals of British Bulldog and Owen Hart, which Bulldog won. When they faced off, they were the tag team champions. I just can't remember if that was on a pay-per-view or not. Because I don't think it was on a Raw. I think it was actually on a show in Europe, but it could have been on a Raw. Anyways, they had promoted it this way. So, anyways, this was actually a fun match where the crowd was, man, they were going Austin's way so badly. And Sean was getting some booze, but he still had the ladies. It was kind of like what you hear now, with, what, what you used to hear with Cena, where the kids would cheer, but the guys would cheer, boo. It was kind of what, what Sean was going through. The women would cheer because they love how Sean looked, et cetera, et cetera. The men, though, would be like, oh, F this guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, so... This is a fun match. It led to a double disqualification when Austin stunned the referee, when Sean super kicked the referee. It was a fun... I would suggest you guys watch it. It's a fun match to watch, right? So, after Bret Hart and Sean Michaels end up getting into a real fight, Sean walks out. So, he walks out. And so, he doesn't come back until SummerSlam 97, where it's a bunch of stipulations. If Bret Hart loses to Undertaker, he can no longer wrestle in America. If he wins, he gets a WWE Championship. Sean's the special referee. If he doesn't count the fall or show, if he doesn't show bias towards Undertaker, or if he doesn't show bias towards whoever, or if he just doesn't call down the middle, then he can never wrestle again. So, anyways, um, then this with the water. Uh, the infamous spit in the face from Brett. Sean nails the Undertaker. With the steel chair. He nailed him with that steel chair. He counts the fall for Brett. Brett becomes a five-time WWE champion. We talked about that last week. The following night is when Sean comes out. And boy, oh boy, was the crowd not liking him. He was being booed. Un- uh, just just relentlessly being booed. And so um, he says, I don't give a damn. What anyone thinks of me. So he goes on this promo. He essentially turns heel. And later in the night, it's a match where Sean versus Sean Triple H, which is the first time DX is really together. But they're not DX yet. But this is the first time they really form. You have Sean Triple H, China. But it's Sean Triple H versus Mankind and the Undertaker. 
Sean nails Taker with a chair shot to the head. Taker's forehead is bloody. And so they end up running out of the ring when Undertaker sits up. And now this is all off to the races. Now you have ground zero. Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. First time ever these guys have touched. And Shawn's a nasty prick heel. This match ends just in the smosh. No one wins, no one loses. Everyone comes out to try to break these guys up. Undertaker does it. I think that's the first time Undertaker did the dive. Was a ground zero. I could be wrong. But I think that's the first time Undertaker did the infamous dive he would end up doing only at WrestleMania was on that group of people. Plus match ends in nothing. So then because of still so much outside interference, this leads to the first ever Hell in a Cell, which Jim Cornette has said he's pitched. He's the one who pitched it. He pitched the entire ending and entire uh, introduction of Kane. Now for months, uh, sorry to make sure I was recording. I was like, did I hit the record button? Uh, for months, Paul Bearer was tormenting Undertaker, even when he was champion. Like, he ends up, like, managing Undertaker in the middle of Undertaker WWE Championship run because he coerced him to being his manager again. He said, I need some money, you know, about with Kane, you know. And Jim Cornette said, hey, I pitched this opening for Glenn Jacobs because Kane, because uh, years ago, uh, Douglas, uh, was it first? It was first LaFon, but it was LaFon. Uh, Doug LaFon, who was legitimately the world's strongest man, and he came down and how he made his introduction was he ripped the steel cage door off its hinges. He says, you need to do that with Kane to show her off how powerful he is. So this match is, to this day, to me, the best Hell in a Cell match of all time. And we've had some really good ones. I think uh, the end of the Eris Cell match was fantastic. Uh, I think the DX versus McMahon and the Big Shows was, was good too. But to me, this one says certain standard. And obviously, Undertaker vs. Mankind is the greatest spectacle in the Hell in a Cell, but it wasn't the greatest match, in my opinion. Um, so anyways, they, they, and Shawn Michaels, by the way, during this whole thing, he ends up going to Europe and winning the, inter, the European Championship from Bulldog, who, at this point in time, the belt had just been, it was defended a few times, but it was an afterthought. Shawn, Shawn having that belt, it didn't make it any more relevant, but it also, but it made the belt feel like something different because bulldog at that point was just carrying the belt yeah you know like he he wasn't defending it barely i think he defended it once and now like it's shamrock at summerslam which he lost by dq well he won by dq um anyways so they have their hell in a cell match kane debuts rips the door off the hinges after Undertaker has the match one he lays out taker sean covers taker and that's it sean is now the new number one contender for the wwe championship and uh, he is dragged out by China and uh, uh, Triple H. Who look at China's face at the end of this? Like, Sean, like Triple H is like raising Sean's hand, and China just looks so concerned because Sean is so freaking bloody. It's just, ugh, right? So, anyways, um, this leads to the Montreal screw job, which I told you we, we guys we, we were not going to hit because um, we have a show dedicated to that whole mess there so you guys can check in the archives there it's the episode's literally named montreal screwdrop so just watch that anyways there's a show for this week that's a monday show wednesday we're talking about injustice the animated okay so my recorder decides to update right as i'm about to finish to <laughs> finish the episode sorry about that guys it is this is our monday show on wednesday show uh, injustice the animated movie has dropped and um 
I'm going to review it, and that will be Wednesday's show. And then the week after, we'll get to back to Teen Titans or Titans. So um, enjoy your week, guys. Talk to you on Wednesday.